0: Okay, Genesis House, why don't we stand and read Mark's Gospel, beginning in verse 1, chapter 5. They came to the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gerasenes. When he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him, and he had his dwelling among the tombs. And no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in mountains, and gashing himself with stones. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him. And shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, What is your name? And he said to him, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he began to implore mercilessly not to send them out of the country. Now there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain, and the demons implored him, saying, Send us into the swine, so that we may enter them. Jesus gave them permission, and coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about two thousand of them, and they were drowned in the sea. The herds had ran away and reported in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and observed the man who had been a demon-possessed, sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind, the very men who had been the legion. And they became very frightened. Those who had seen it described to them how it happened to the demon-possessed man, and all about the swine. And they began to implore him to leave their region. And he was getting into the boat and the man who had been deeply possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him. And he did not let him, but he said to him, Go home to your people and report to them what Jesus or what great things the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy upon you. And he went away and began to proclaim at the capitalists what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. Let's pray. Lord, we... Uh, are thankful for accounts like this in your scripture Where we learn so many lessons from you I pray that you would give me the uh, the wisdom and the strength and the and the insight on how to proclaim those lessons to our congregation today in a a Way that you would be proud of a way that was intended by the original readers and that would be nothing of my own accord in here But just everything based on your spirit you that 2,000 years later we we have things to learn and as we learned last week nothing is new under the sun and so the principles for then are true for today we we pray that we grasp those as we uh, seek to honor you with our lives amen please be seated so i'm looking forward to our time this morning as we unpack one of jesus's most famous miracles this healing of a demoniac man on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And without giving the entire sermon away, I'm excited because let's just say that we're in for a few cool surprises. So let's uh, jump right in. Notice in uh, verse 1 that Mark records that Jesus and the disciples came to the other side of the sea. And that uh, other side was the country of the Gerasenes. I want to show you a map of Israel and what this what he's referring to here. If you look at the map on the Sea of Galilee, Jesus's main ministry area was in the northwest. So you look at Bethsaida, you look at Capernaum, all these areas. That's kind of where Jesus' stomping grounds were. This is where Peter lived and, and all the disciples were called. So when they say they went to the other side of the sea, they actually went to, they crossed from the north west side and went to the southeast side. So you see Hippas on the right. That's the eastern side. But this event will occur in the deep south, kind of at the, at the peak of um, where the Sea of Galilee is. So the other side in, in, in first century understanding is always the eastern side of the sea and the, especially in the south. Okay? So Jesus has come from the, like the north and western side, crossed the Sea of Galilee to the Gerasene area and that's on the, obviously on the right here. So Mark says that upon their arrival, in verse 2, the, the local welcome wagon met them. This demon-possessed man who is, uh, had an unclean spirit, who made his home amongst the local graveyards. And I wanted to show you these local graveyards because Laurel and I got to see them in Israel when we went there. So this is the exact site of, what, of uh, what, where this occurred. These are the tombs, um, tombs at at the southern portion of the the sea and uh, you can see like uh, the dugouts like some crevices and holes in these that's where people would put the the bodies and whatnot and so they're tombs hewn into the rock the side of a hill. I have another picture of the blown out from a farther distance and you can see them in the background and notice that the, the steepness of the hill and how it descends. Well from the edge of the picture on the right hand side where the hill stops to the edge of the sea of Galilee is another 100, 100 to 150 meters probably. So we're not dealing with a huge distance, but you could see now that if a boat was coming along, if you had a bird's eye view and you're up on a hill, how you could see someone coming to your territory. And knowing he's demon possessed, he knows exactly who's coming and what's in store as he's entering in there in the spiritual realm, okay? So this, is, this gives you a picture. These are the tombs where this would have actually occurred, which is really mind-blowing when you think about that. So the geography of Israel is really cool. So this guy's got, a, he's got his home amongst the tombs. He, he lives in the local graveyards. But there's more to this guy. He's got a terrifying reputation amongst the local people. In verses 3 through 5, he's described, and I'll just summarize. He's he's known as this extremely powerful and violent man He poses threats to other people like we know this because he's Attempted to bind him and to shackle him, but he but they can't even do it. They can't subdue this guy He's so strong and they they want to chain him up But they can't and so he just constantly breaks uh, everything that they put in their his midst So it would have been a very fearful of encountering this guy with his raw power But he's also a threat to himself He's a cutter, to use today's terms. He's a cutter. And he, he takes stones and he gashes himself and just is violent towards himself. But he's also boisterous, like un, uncannily boisterous. See, the guy screams night and day. Night and day he's at the top of his lungs just screaming, probably profanities and all sorts of things. And no doubt the people nearby lost a ton of sleep over that guy, just from the, this constant noise. But Luke tells us something important. Luke tells us that he was also someone who was always unclothed. This guy was perpetually naked, so he was sexually like perverse. He was uh, a voyeurist. He's the kind of person that you, for sure, want, wouldn't want your kids to walk by, and uh, just in case of what you might be exposed to and what you might see. So this guy's like no picnic. I mean, he's he's a he's a walking living hell. But you know what's amazing about this? Mark describes one incredible scene here. This guy is a, lock, a walking living hell, but in the presence of Christ, he's absolutely submissive. Look at verse 6. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him. Just crumbled in the presence of Christ. Just a marshmallow. Just became totally submissive. And not just in his physical posture, but in his requests. He actually says to him, I implore you by God, do not torment me. And in verse 10, he says, do not send us out of the country. So what's going on here is um, they believe the final judgment has come. Like they're wondering, is this the time for our judgment to occur? And uh, they don't want to be locked up for good. They want to be able to be free to roam this area, and this region. And, and Christ is like... Well, like, but, well, we'll get into this in a second, but Christ honors their request not to be bound yet because it's not time for the final judgment, but they recognize that he is their judge and that he has authority over their lives. So we know the rest of the story. Jesus, um, upon their request to be sent into pigs and not set out of the country, allows it to happen. And he grants the request. And so 2,000 pigs rush into this, uh, or 2,000 d- um, pigs get demon-possessed. They rush down a hill, which we can see in this PowerPoint, and uh, they, they head into the sea and they drown. The result is that these herdsmen that own the pigs, they, they uh, go back and report everything they see. and everyone's Instagram and Facebook accounts blow up as the news about the herdsmen's uh, loss of uh, their livelihood and, and uh, Jesus' miracles spreads like wildfire. And so they come rushing to see if this event is actually true. And we pick up our sermon now in verse 15. Look at what they find. They came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon possessed sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind. This was an absolute, total, and undeniable miracle. He was sitting down, not shackled up. He was sane, not screaming out. He was passive, not violent. Now, I remember I told you in my introduction, this sermon is full of surprises. <laughs> Before I tell you surprise number one, let me just say, ask you a question you can answer privately. But let's say Mark stopped there. Mark stops there, and the last word you have is, they saw him sitting in his right mind, the very man who had the legion in him. If Mark stopped there, and we're in a Bible study, and we said, so church, how do you, how guys, girls, how do you think this story ends? I'll tell you what I'd suggest to you guys. I would say, well, I think probably it would have ended in total gratitude. Gratitude, I mean, thank you for giving me peaceful, restless sleeps. I finally can sleep at night because like, this lunatic's gone. Thank you, I can walk safely along these ridges and, and go along the edge of the sea and have a nice Sunday stroll because I don't have to worry about this guy coming after my family. Thank you for making this area like a safe place. Or, you will believe this Jesus guy, what he can do. Quickly, let's get all of our sick relatives and anyone is possessed and bring him to him so there can be a massive healing fest. Or, the desired outcome that we all would want, faith in Christ. Praise and worship for the one who had the power to exercise this fellow. The recognition of his power and authority that would lead to a revival and people would surrender their lives to Jesus. These are all the things that would be suggested in Bible study, I'm sure. (laughs) Surprise number one. The people's total rejection of Jesus. Jesus despite the clear evidence of a supernatural power. Look at verse 17. And they began to implore him to leave their region. I think the context fits to say this. Literally, Jesus, get the hell out of here. (laughs) Leave. Take a hike, Mike. Adios, amigos. Go. Go. Why is this such an important surprise? Well, let me, well, let me just say this first. We learn an important lesson here. That the witnessing of miracles or Christ's supernatural power is not a guarantee or does not guarantee that people will receive them favorably. I bring this up because I'll tell you as your pastor, I have prayed this prayer a few times and talked to God about this in my own life. I said, Lord, would you give me something supernatural beyond my conversion and beyond your word to show me that you're real? I just need that little extra boost right now just to have the, like, increase my faith. <laughs> I prayed that over the last couple of years. And in stories like this, say, Andrew, that's not required. you remember Israel in the Old Testament? They were supernaturally redeemed with 10 plagues, which in Egypt was touched constantly. In Goshen, where they were, it never was touched once. They go out into the wilderness for 40 years. They're fed every day by the hand of God and protected from the Amalekites and all sorts of miracles day after day after day after day for 40 years, and they all die in the wilderness. They will not receive them. Jesus... Virtually wipes out almost all disease in Israel. If not all, well, he didn't do all, but it was probably 70 80% gone. And they yell, crucify him, crucify him. Now, not that miracles are only to be seen as negative in the Bible. In John 20 31, um, John actually records these things have been written so that you may believe in Jesus, and through believing, you may have life in his name. So the signs are done as pointers to who Christ is, but they're not guarantors that people are receiving favorably. And I think this is why the, Jesus' words to Thomas are so important for us who, who may never experience the supernatural the way they did on that shoreline that day. He said to Thomas, You believe because you see, and you witnessed a miracle. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe." Surprise number two. The reason for his rejection. So they've rejected him. Surprise number two. The reason for his rejection. Look at verse 15. They came to Jesus and said, uh, we see this guy sitting down and clothing his right mind. But it says there, they became frightened. Frightened. Luke says it even stronger. He says they were gripped with fear they were gripped with fear in Luke 8 now again what surprised me about this if you were to ask me before and this is suggested by the way by the commentaries and some commentaries why were they frightened what were they what was the fear over um, suggested that it was due to the economic loss they were angry with Jesus because they got slaughtered that day financially. 2,000 pigs. I've watched Jeff stress over one steer that almost died the other day. And he was, was like, and his stress had nothing to do with care for the animal. He's like, Dexter, like the money, the money. And I'm like, I know, I feel bad for you. Like, holy. Let's pray the cows survive. <laughs> I'm just here, I guess. Can say, yeah. But the, the economic loss, one out of six gone. This is 2,000 pigs gone, man. So I'd be like, Jesus, get out of Dodge. I'm angered at you, at the economic loss. You know what's cool? That's not what it says. It has nothing to do with the economic loss of why they're frightened. Look at what it's tied to. They observed the man who had been dead and possessed now sane, and were terrified. <laughs> do you know what scared them, church? His transformed life. The fact that Jesus had the power and authority to change this man when no one else could do it. You had power and authority to evoke change and to transform what no one else could do. And as I got thinking about this, I'm like, of course, What a powerful application to us in lesson. See, there's a tension with Jesus in our lives. And in other people's lives. I know many who love his teachings. I have a Buddhist friend who actually loves the teachings of Jesus. He tells me all the time, he likes this and likes that. And if all of it, in fact, he says, if all of us were like Jesus, the world would be a better place. And I'm like, yeah, I totally agree. He loves the stories of his compassion in his heart he's attracted to that but but being under the power and authority of christ (laughs) that terrifies him terrifies him It scares him now i remember this as a kid i was i told you the story if you don't remember it's i can summarize it quickly i was in hockey school at 15 years old i was there to be hopefully drafted by a junior, junior uh, A-team in the area, and, uh, near Edmonton, and I was only there for hockey, and at the end of the camp, I was in a Christian camp, I didn't even know, it. my parents put me in it, I had no idea, at the end of the camp, a woman stands up and declares a prophecy over my life, and says, you are going to be a leader in God's kingdom, in God's church one day, <laughs> you talk about fear? The re- part of the reason I never gave my life to the Lord in my teenage years was the fear that He would send me into the ministry. I didn't want His power and authority to change my life. In my 20s, the same issue. I knew that if I gave my life to Him, He was going to invoke change, and I was scared. My attitude was like that of many others in the people of the capitalist. Jesus, get in the boat and get out of here. Thankfully, Mark doesn't end the story here. Turns out there there was not one guy that didn't want him to go. There was one guy actually who wanted to get in the boat with him. And we pick him up in verse 18. This newly transformed man. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him. Here we come to surprise number three. about the scene you gotta love this guy we could learn something from him he's newly converted to Christ and he immediately wants to follow him no delay immediate commitment none of this wishy washy like you know standing on the fence type of stuff wondering is this guy saved is he not saved like all these silly questions we have in the church he doesn't even know where Jesus is going he has no idea what the life he's been called to doesn't know how he's going to be provided for, how they, where they get their clothes from, how they get their food, how they make a living, what they're going to be saying. Because he's nothing. He's demon possessed. He's crazed. He doesn't understand this stuff. He doesn't care. He wants to be with the one who loves him and redeemed him and showed mercy upon him. Surprise number three. You'd think Jesus would say, absolutely, get in the boat, Let's go. Jesus' response to the man's request is in verse 19. And he did not let him. <laughs> nope. that didn't happen. Why? Well, Jesus had other ministry priorities for this fellow. He says, go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. In order to understand why this had to occur, we have to point out a couple of really important things. We have to remember Jesus' ministry and what he came for. In Matthew 15, in Matthew 15, it says that in verse 24, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Geographically, where is the occurring? On the east side of the sea, in the region of the capitalists, Every city you see here in red is the capitalist. Every city that, that stretches way beyond the tip of the Galilean region. There's ten cities there. What land is that? It's Gentile land. How do you know? Name a Jew that has two thousand pigs. <laughs> be a lot of sacrifices at the temple if you had 2,000 pigs for your sin. For having all these unclean animals. They are in Gentile territory. Jesus is like this. If you come with me, it's redundant in ministry. I've got that area covered. I've got it. Me and the 12 and the 70. And everyone else has come to follow. We've We've got Jerusalem and Israel covered. But what I don't have is somebody on the east side of the Jordan River in Gentile territory. That's where I don't have somebody. And see, Jesus Christ, in 2 Peter 3.9, has said this of His character, that He wants no one to perish, but all come to repentance. None to perish, but all to come to repentance. If this guy gets his way, Jesus' heart for people, and the ministry priorities are not fulfilled. So he has to send them into another area because Jesus has the big picture of the kingdom priorities. But here's a really awesome observation about this guy. Jesus is no dummy. Why is this guy so important? Why would he be so effective? Because he's known to the people. He's known to the people. When they came in verse 14 and 15 to see what happened, they were frightened. Why? Not because it was hearsay. We heard about this guy that might have been possessed. They knew the fellow. And they recognized the change. It wouldn't take any convincing to his fellow countrymen about the power of Christ transforming power. They, can de- they may reject salvation for themselves, but they cannot deny what he did in his life. Cannot. That's a super powerful church. I don't have to go to China. In fact, the Lord may not even want me to go to China because it's hearsay about what he's done in my life. It's hearsay. But an ogotoks. If you knew me in 1999, and 2000, and 2001, and 2002, and 2003, and 2004, that's not hearsay. (laughs) People knew what my life was like. Super cool. Jesus knew the best place for him to be was right amongst his own people. That was best for the kingdom, that was best for God's heart to be fully expressed. That should be screaming application to you right now in your own lives, and if it's not, I'll help you you flesh it out in the lessons. (laughs) But surprise number four. Surprise number four. The qualifications of this man in terms of what he needed to be an effective witness for Christ qualifications, church. Read verse 19. Go home to your people. Report to them, listen to this, what great things the Lord has done for you and how He has shown you mercy. He didn't need to know Greek and Hebrew. He didn't need to Know the entire Old Testament and what was coming in the New Testament in the years to come. Word for word. Grammar for grammar. He didn't have to attend Regent College. Write papers on Revelation. All he needed was the power and testimony of a transformed life. And how God has shown no mercy. So how did a fellow like this respond? Knowing that his original intention and desire was to immediately follow Christ by getting in the boat? And Christ was calling him to something different? Look at verse 20. He went away and began to proclaim it to the capitalists what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. He obeyed the Lord. It wasn't his first desire to go that way. But after experiences the freedom and the power of deliverance, he couldn't help but just want to do what Christ said. But I want to leave you with one observation before the lessons. This is really powerful. See, one of Mark's goals is to give you a clear identity like of who Jesus is, who he is. A lot of people think, you know, Jesus is a good teacher. He's a good man. He's a, he's a role model for us to live our lives in. But Mark leaves you with no questions as to who he is. Look at verse 19 one more time. He says, go to your people, report to them what great things the Lord has done for you. So you got it? Great things the Lord has done for you. Next verse. He went away to the capitalists and told them the great things Jesus had done for them. <laughs> there's no denying who the Lord is, and there's no denying who Jesus is. So, what do we learn? The witnessing of miracles and Christ's supernatural power does not necessarily guarantee that people are receiving favorably even put faith in them Israel is an example of that. The New Testament Israelite Jews were examples of that Now it's not that they can't be Not that it can't be we, we've seen Jesus do miracles like um, we did we've been studying in Acts with the men about how the um, the guy at the the lame man at the temple who was healed and he, he glorified God. So it's not that they can't, but it's just not a guarantee. I think that's important in terms of how we how we approach our faith and how we approach our prayer request for the Lord about what's necessary in order for us, just to trust Him and to have faith in Him. Many people, even at the presence of, or the, at, the, at the sight of miracles, can explain it away. I've had conversations with people who've left the faith and they explain it away and it's just unbelievable. People who have seen and heard miracles. Lesson number 2. Jesus continues to be rejected today, despite the clear evidence that He's radically changed someone's life. What did we learn the reasons for that word today? Well actually, the one main reason actually was fear. You can imagine it, right? Uh, me and my buddy are best friends through high school and university, and we do all the same things, and we love the same things, and we get into trouble in the same way, and we escape the police the same way, and we all, all sorts of things. And then I become a Christian, and he watches the change, and he goes, but I don't want that. I don't want your God because I don't want to have to live like you anymore. Because, again, Satan's number one lie is he's actually out to squash your fun and to kill your life and not think bless your life. But people don't see it that way initially. But again. He's rejected out of fear. The power of a changed life. Three. Jesus saves us for the purpose of service. He saves it for the purpose of service. What's cool is. You don't, it doesn't have to be that you have to be a pastor. You don't have to even be a disciple. In terms of. Like joining him in his band for, around Israel. But he saved him just so that he could have a, his own ministry over here amongst his own people. Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. It's not the other way around. The laborers are plentiful, and the harvest is limited. <laughs> He's desperate for laborers. And my prayer, I told you during the 40 days of prayer we had was, That by the end of 2021, we'd have two new families in this church. Well, church, the responsibility doesn't fall just solely on me. There's 50 people in this church that Jesus was saved for the purpose of service. We have to work together as a community, and as a kingdom group to, to, to bring the salvation to the lost. And finally, I love this, my favorite lesson probably. (laughs) All we need to be, all we need to be an effective witness for Christ is a personal testimony of His transforming power. You don't need Greek and Hebrew. It's fun to study. You don't need to go to Regent College. It's kind of cool to go there. If you've experienced His mercy, He will use you. He will use you. He takes shipwrecks of lives and turns them into incredible servants. I love First Corinthians six nine. He goes through a list of all the all the different people like idolaters, sinners, etc., and he says, "But such were some of you, which have been washed and sanctified." Such were some of you, which have been washed and sanctified. All you and all you and I need to proclaim his truth is to have an experience of what he's done. At the basic level of faith and that is so exciting and again he's put family he's put a unique people group in your lives for a purpose there are some group like even like that's very likely that within this church well the fact i know it's likely there are certain people groups that you all have within your lives that i would have a hard time infiltrating that god has given you an open door to I just see two people right in front of me right now. Jeff, you have an insight to the Hutterites that I don't have. You have an insight Dave into the lacrosse community I don't have. There's a natural a natural pocket of people that God's put us in. And if we were I know it, we're Gentiles so if we were saying to Jesus back then, I want to follow you for the 12th, he'd say, Dave you stick to your people. Jeff you stick to your people. Andrew you stick to your people. Sarah to your people. We all have a, you have a gym community. We have a community of people around us that we would be easier for us to infiltrate than others. And all you need is a first testimony of the saving grace of God as your basic starting point for sharing your faith. Amen.